what one thing people got about is climate change is really happening and it's everywhere. One thing they don't get is how much that is to do with your daily life. That is still a missing a big part to me. Hello and welcome back to the Agents of Change and Environmental Justice podcast, a partnership between Environmental Health News and Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. I'm Brian Binkowski, Senior Editor at Environmental Health News and the Editor of Agents of Change. I hope you're all enjoying the transition to fall and whatever that means for you. I don't know what your phenological calendars look like, but for me, this means more football this time of year, another month or so on the bike, at least outdoors anyway, and lots and lots of farm work. We have a small organic farm we run here and it is seed collecting time. So we are busy, 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 but I am not complaining. That voice you heard at the beginning was Nishad Shafi, a climate change advocate and co-founder of the Arab Youth Climate Movement Qatar, who is our guest today. He was joined by Leila Gad, our summer intern, and they discuss climate change in the Arab world and the harms of Western media's biased reporting on topics of climate change and energy in the Middle East. Enjoy. I, when I came across your uh, profile on your website, I was really interested in how you got involved in climate change and um, what was your motivation, just because I feel like it's not that common, I guess, at least to my understanding, to get like a master's that you got um, in, I think it's in environmental conservation or environmental like energy conservation. So I was interested in like hearing more about your decision to pursue that. Well, um, my my whole idea was, I mean, obviously, um, my discussion about climate started when I was doing uh, my engineering, and my, one of my professors, obviously, from the West, uh, put most uh, ideas of climate into me, and wasn't, I started my climate, I used to say people that hold the climate moment wasn't uh, just because I was um, uh, interested in, this, uh, in, in the whole dynamics of youth movement, etc., but rather uh, I come up with a science background on how climate change impacts um, normal human beings. And uh, my uh, thesis project was uh, around climate change variation in Southeast Asia. So I got the reality check from the scientific point of view. And I always tell people I talk about climate from a science perspective, which is always human-centric. Uh, what science tells is about humans and human impacts. So I, I always say science is a, the, the bottom line when you come to climate discussion, whether it's health, um, uh, human-induced issues of fossil fuel extraction, mitigation, adaptation. It's all science. Uh, so how we can really... Uh, study this and how can that bring to a common man was always something I was introduced so ever since I graduated I thought there was a right way uh, is to translate those languages into common man's issue and as a young person I thought uh, the best place to start is with young people so that's how the whole dynamics of climate discussion from um, from a theoretical at least I say when I said I did uh, research on um, uh, South Asia it was climate modeling so it's more computer science and coding so how to translate this coding of data and stuff to a common man? He say, how do you do that? Like you say, you are talking about hundred year or thousand year data. How did you do that? So this was something that I wanted to, you know, put it in a common man's perspective and where he can understand what is all this climate science and what is that to do with my daily life. No, and um, you're talking about something really interesting, at least to me, with the whole uh, 
coding and transferring it to layman's terms, um, especially with climate change. I, I'm just going to use examples from talking to my Egyptian grandmother. This is not something that's on her mind at all. Um, it's not something they sort of take like a resignation from it saying like, there's nothing I can really do about it, you know? So I guess how, how did you tackle bringing it to the forefront of people's minds with transferring the coding, let's say, or just emphasizing that it is important and you can make a change? Well, frankly speaking, it wasn't easy at all. I mean, uh, uh, the climate, like you mentioned in some, some of the questions, like climate change wasn't the thing in this part of the world. I am, again, reiterating the same sentence, thanks to COP27, COP28, and the whole hippie around climate. I mean, I don't know, 90% of the people who are in the climate movement, at least for me, in the youth climate movement, don't even know that. This is not the first time Middle East or North Africa is hosting a COP. Qatar hosted in, back in 2012. It was COP18. None of them even heard about climate change back in 2012, including myself, because I was back in schools. So when I talk to people back, like, hey, who participated in COP18 in Doha? Oh, Nishad, it's a government discussion. Where is common man doing at that point of time? So you see how much it trans, you know, tra- transgendered towards common man issue, common man taking the streets, etc., uh, to what it was is to be a government discussion. So all this COP, COP people are talking about wasn't even uh, you know community-centric or youth-centric or women-centric at all. So we come from there to what we have today is obviously translating those discussions to a common man's understanding. Now today, if I ask my mother what I'm doing, she didn't understand for the last four or three years, at least my, my master's to do what I'm doing now. But slowly this transcends to what she understands is that something going out uh, that's may destroy our agriculture, our daily life moving outside, especially for us in summer, you know, it's incredibly hot to go out with humidity, it's up almost 50 degrees on a day-to-day basis. So she said, hey, it wasn't this way. That's why I say, yeah, it wasn't this way. It was hot. It was not this hotter. So that sort of discussion becomes um, our dinner time talk. People are used to, you know, I don't know, in, in Arab sense, you know, uh, we, we, we just talk bullshit at the time the dinner table to some great creative discussions happening now, especially with family. So I think the whole discussion, obviously thanks to the lot of social media thing in these days, a lot of news comes around climate change. People, what One thing people got about is climate change is really happening and it's everywhere. One thing they don't get is how much that is to do with your daily life. That is still missing a big part to me. Like, um, at least for a person living in Middle East, you can correlate to temperature rise, but people don't see sea level rise coming up, which is happening. And because you don't see in your eyes what is happening, right? At least for us here, temperature rise are measured. Uh, there is a measuring system by the state, and it is done on a daily basis. So that can be actually felt. So people directly connect. What's climate change to you? Heat, heat, heat. But people don't think, uh, how many did uh, correlate the flooding in this part of the world? So the region which receives the least rainfall and least water um, um, underground water um, um, availability in the world gets rain and it brings chaos. I mean, can you believe it? Ten people died in Abu Dhabi or Sharjah last year in UAE. It was extreme weather events which brought a flooding out of a rain they received for 100 years in one day. That flooded their infrastructure, which is one of the best infrastructure in the world, because they're one of the richest countries in the world. All of the DCC, the same story. Yeah, that's definitely interesting to hear with the in- infrastructure that you're talking about with the flooding and stuff. So I guess my next question would move into this idea of resilience. And you're just talking about how Qatar is really successful. I know that last year, I think they 
they're moving towards having more parks. So I read somewhere that they've built like 22 more parks across the country. So um, if you could just expand more on this idea of resilience in Qatar and what does that mean and what what does that look like? I mean, I should add that parks are air-cooled parks. That's, uh, that's, uh, the, most of the parks are air-cooled now in Qatar. Um, they're building more parks to increase the greener space to reduce the extensive heating because, I mean, in, in the layman term, uh, at least from poetry style, it's a concrete jungle we live in. So how to make it more green space uh, is not only attractive, they realize it also helps in, 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 in people's health. So they started um, expanding a lot of green spaces and uh, especially park for people to walk. But then they realized summer is not the time to walk. So then the new concept, air-cooled park. I think technically this would be a future everywhere. Some of the people are telling, hey, that's a lot of air conditions. You know why you air condition your park? You're wasting power. What if those are fully solar-powered? And to my understanding, our grid are connected to solar. I mean, imagine, for me at least I read in the news, 2,000 people lost life in the Europe in heat wave last year. Why? 90% of the European homes doesn't have air cooling system. And that's how their weather used to be. It is changing. So are they well prepared? I said you should look into south, come to our part of the world. We are well prepared, at least in terms of adaptation to whatever climate change we are happening. Because we are building parks with air cooled, our homes are connected to air conditions. So obviously it is not, an, it is again exclusive. But this is a future everybody is going to live in. And at least I would say our region is somewhat prepared at least when it comes to Gulf countries because of their enormous wealth and uh, stuff like that. But why don't you use their technologies if it is not patented to research together to find some similar solution to cool down um, parks in the UK or European countries? There was a huge chaos. I don't know if you were following the World Cup 2022 here in Qatar. It was like, oh, they are cooling all the stadiums. What if there was a single huge cooling system stadium in Manchester which would have saved 2,000 lives? And all the stadiums which had the cooling system was connected to solar grid. So for me, that was innovation. Yes, it is costly, but under climate adaptation, every country has to put in their infrastructure ready to save their people. I mean, we are talking about lives. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially with the Middle East, with so many countries being war-torn because of the civil wars that they're going through. It puts a lot of strain on, I guess it pushes climate change to the back burner. But I'm um, talking just even about the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. The media was really, I guess, critical or harsh of how Qatar was. I think that's a long term. Uh, media was biased. Let, let us be frank. Yes. Um, let us be frank. A biased, hypocritic, vested news. Let me put it that way. Yeah, and I completely agree with you, like what reading in the, in the U.S. So I guess my question is, what do you feel like the U.S. media or the U.S. like the European media gets wrong when they talk about climate issues in Arab countries or climate responses in Arab countries? The realities, they forget the realities. I mean, uh, when the heat wave hits the, uh, it's many of the European or American countries, here to make the climate is such a big issue. But when it comes to our part of the world, I mean, still, you know, um, arms terrorism, fight against terror are, are the priority areas for them. I mean, for America at least, um, um, their biggest buyers of weapons are in the Middle East. So they're always into this sort of discussion. Climate doesn't come, uh, for me at least, until COP27, America's um, um, super interest in the region was never a climate change issues. I mean, if today you ask me, even the discussion about climate is happening just because Qatar is, uh, sorry, UAE is hosting CARB. But beyond that, the American interest in the region is obviously oil and gas. 
I mean, you you mm-hmm. look to us as um, country who is doing bad, complaining that the Middle East, Saudi Arabia is uh, stalling climate discussion. But who are the real, real, uh, real issue for me as somebody who follows climate since COP twenty one in Paris? Uh, there is an issue from the countries who are producing. But will you, from a simple question, will your mother cook more food for one kid if there is no demand in your home? No. Your mom will cook one uh, whatever majgus or uh, whatever biryani you want for one person. There is one person. But look at there. You have 10 people in your family and everybody needs excess of food. So you prepare more. What's happening? There's a huge demand in the market. All this climate discussion, climate adaptation, we need to go about the climate mitigation. Great discussion. I agree with all of this. But who are the buyers? Look at the numbers. America number one buyer, second followed by European Union. So it's again the developed in the global north countries who are dependent on our wealth here, especially the oil and gas, and then victimize us. Like, like, oh, these guys are creating the whole climate issue. Looking at the whole um, uh, years of emission, all the developed countries have to be blamed. I mean, when did all the Middle East oil and gas discovered? 40 years. How many years since the European and American interest on uh, industrialization took place? Almost 100 now. So they used up their carbon, uh, whatever, footprint, and now they're complaining developing countries that don't develop without paying any money. Like, you stop your fossil fuel extraction because it is causing climate change. So for me, this comes as uh, the Western hypocrisy of how the whole uh, climate change issues, they are historically responsible against the new ones. I mean, I'm not agreeing everybody has to produce, but at least you need to give them an alternative so they don't produce. So biggest discussion on this is that um, the whole American point of view to look at the region as um, uh, climate change uh, um, uh, causer against uh, climate change. You know, for me, sometimes I feel the whole fossil fuel industry makes many of the people away from climate discussion. Like you were asking, I didn't find many people because they were feeling shy to answer this question. Myself, when I started the advocacy thing, they said, Mishad, you're from Qatar. You are one of the highest carbon footprint country. Yes, what's wrong? We are 3 million people divided by second largest LNG supplier in the world. It is simple mathematics. You are number two emission after China. Your number is so staggering number divided by your footprint comes very small. But look at the emission. You are number one. And I never believe in the whole per capita emission because it's not the right calculation. I think UN also has to transform how they do this per capita emission story. So if you look at absolute emission, it is the United States, the great leader of the world and uh, the, at the moment the climate leader, even dictating China how to help mitigate climate change. So there is a hypocrisy how the media also take up the same bandwagon of America is a saver of the world and the same white American saver of the world story. I mean, at the same time, uh, they are the ones who uh, import or export, sorry, export maximum oil and gas from our part of the world for their own uh, national interest. So I believe the narrative, what media has to do is to really look at the local issues, um, local um, climate change issues. How many have ever reported a climate change uh, impacts that are happening from a very neutral point of view, then like, okay, Lebanon is going through climate change, and that has to do with the government of Lebanon. Beyond that, you know, this is the, this is the story how you look into. So I don't think at a single point, any country look at, even with the World Cup, for example, I would say in Qatar, uh, Qatar tried to do a first carbon neutral World Cup. Of course, a large part went for uh, offsetting. Man, every multi-million American companies from Apple to Microsoft say they are carbon neutral by offsetting. When Qatar did, they made chaos. Then which country, let me tell you how many countries have announced net zero. 
I think at least from my number, almost 58 or 60 countries announced net zero by 2060, 2070 till 2019. And half of them will achieve this uh, carbon neutrality using carbon credits. You never had an issue when a country hosted, first Islamic Arab country in the world hosting a World Cup, telling that first time in the history of soccer FIFA World Cup, they brought even sustainability, climate change into the mainstream and the Western media took up. Oh my God, fossil fuel country talking about sustainability. Who the hell are you to dictate us? What is your historical emission? So show me your data. So for me, I felt it's hypocrisy. But what it did, for me, at least I go to a single school in Qatar. The, the kids ask me, Nishad, what is carbon neutral? Because Qatar hosted carbon neutral World Cup. Come on, which is the biggest way of climate message in a country I would always love, came from the state itself. So, you know, this way people don't see the local stories, how that transformed life of young students asking, what is climate change? We saw climate, Qatar is hosting first climate, the neutral World Cup. What is carbon offsetting? How does it work? I mean, this sort of education for free, nobody will get it. And I was so impressed how a country tried to do it. I mean, I will not say they did everything great, but okay, let's, I, I, was, I was telling them, okay, let's wait, what you will do in your World Cup. The next World Cup is America, Mexico, and Canada. There is no carbon neutrality or sustainability in their even reports. Qatar told this 10 years before they got World Cup that they want to host first environment-friendly World Cup. That, for me, is a vision. Even if it is a fossil fuel country, it has a vision for the world. They didn't tell Qatar is going to be fossil fuel neutral now. They said, we'll try to make this World Cup. And it sent a great message. But the Western hypocrisy couldn't accept that. How such a small country can do a carbon neutrality? We rich who know sustainability, who brought the climate change, cannot do any shit. So this was, for me, it, uh, it, it hurt their uh, sentiments somewhere that we are the climate leaders and Qatar is hosting the first carbon neutral World Cup. Because a lot of things they did during World Cup, I think, was innovation for itself. I mean, like the cooling stadium. It's a patented technology. What if it was a patent coming from America? World would have celebrated, see the first the stadium cooling system out of zero carbon emission. We got patented. Nobody talks about the technology which was patented. So how much hypocrisy comes from the Western and the media, frankly to speak, the free media bashing of Qatar's World Cup or Qatar's sustainability things. I'm a, I'm a climate guy. I will not talk about other issues they brought up, which might be true to some extent or not. But to on climate and environment, they were bashing until the last day of World Cup. Let me ask you a question. Where are they now? Do you think Qatar is done with the climate change? No more climate change issues in Qatar? This is a problem. This is all like, you know, uh, hypocrisy of the, how the media come in. I got at least 10 to 11 interviews. Uh, 99% wanted to know the climate neutrality. Do you think it's really climate-friendly World Cup and stuff? I said, I'm not taking this bullshit. It's already in the media what the World Cup organizing committee, the Supreme Committee announced, how the World Cup is done. It's all put in, in a transparent website. Go read. You understand English? If not, Arabic and Spanish and French was also there. You go read it. Don't need to ask Nishad. It's there already in the, in, the, in, the, in the web platform for everybody to read. Still, they were skeptic. And coming to me as an activist to ask me, what is your expectation? I said, sorry, you are not talking to Greta in Sweden. I'm a guy in a country who understands the realities, what's happening around. Plus, what is the country doing? They're doing which is good is good. Bad is bad. Simple. There is one, uh, you know, it's a black and white. Fossil fuel has to go. But what they're doing, in, in, in a way for me, is an adaptation phase of the future life we will look like. Because they were bashing the cooling the cooling the gardens. I said, how do you expect me to live in nine months summer, 50 degrees Celsius, that I stay indoor with air conditioning? I don't have to have a life going out in nature. So it's all the innovations they're coming up with cooling the system. And I said, you were making a big fuss around uh, the stadium cooling. Have you know where the, uh, the power comes from? 
it should be fossil fuel, right? I said, it's not. It comes from the solar grid, which they announced, 400 megawatts of solar. Have you read that? Oh, Nishad, we haven't gone through that. That's what. You are ill-informed, first of all. You didn't do the research about how they are hosting it. You come with an aggressive. Qatar cannot do good. They cannot do good. They cannot do good. So their questions are all they cannot do good. So I think it comes with this narrative is not just limited to Qatar. It's how whole of the Western media looks at the region. I mean, even when they come to activists, they think everybody activist acts like the, the American way of uh, protesting to the White House or their senator's home. Now, we don't have to do the similar way. And tell me how many of this marching has been successful, including Greta said. She never succeeded in what she wanted to do. So is this a successful way of marching? I mean, I know we cannot do it, but even that's not working in so-called democratic world too. So let us find another alternative doing. That's more uh, diplomatic uh, way of doing it. We did it, and we showed the world how that works. Uh, one of the, if, you, if you're following youth climate movement, I don't know, uh, you know what are the main asks from the young people? Young people should have a space in the government discussion, one. Two, a space on their table, two. Three, need to be involved in policy making. Three, the young people have access to go to climate conference and climate things. It is about our future. One, since 2019, AYCM Qatar has been part of the government's discussion on NDCs. Our members are always invited for national dialogues on climate action. Our young people are also attending COP since COP, at least uh, me since uh, COP21, but many of my young since, since uh, Madrid. They went to Glasgow, they went to Sharm Sheikh and also UAE. So too many things which you're asking for last five years, many of our young people are already doing it in last two years of span, without marching, without plug cards, and not being a climate celebrity on Instagram. <laughs> so so we, we've, we've been achieving this. So we, we used to tell that, guys, that's not the only way of doing it. And I appreciate what you're doing in your country. Maybe it works. But so far, nobody had a great success doing that. So why don't you accept our way of doing and where we are succeeding in what the same as? But then the hypocrisy comes, ah, you are not the democratic, you don't have hypocrisy, blah, blah, blah. So they get into other Kazakhstan discussions. So this is the problem. So I think the whole media need to understand the dynamics and how our system operates. Then frame the question around to the activist or um, academic or policy guys in this part of the world so that you can get the real picture of what's happening, what is to be done. I am not telling you are doing all great. There are many, many gaps to do. So when they come with this pre, um, premature uh, thinking about the region, we really lose the real discussion to happen, like where they have to work, how the mitigation should look like, how their decarbonization should, pathway should follow. No, nobody's interested in this question. The questions are this, this, this. So I think the media has to be well prepared. And I'm telling you something which is, stop calling the Arab world as Arab world. Every country has its own essence and they're very, very different from governance, the system, how the people work, the talk, and their sentiments are all different. And like, I don't know, in America or Europe, here one thing doesn't work in all the country. And that's the beauty of Arab world. And people come, ask for UN definition. West Asia is all same. Middle East is all same. Uh, Arab world is all same. No, we are not European Union. We, are, we don't have that union. Other than, even our unions are shakeable, like GCC, friends, then we become false. So <laughs> it's not always the same. So... I mean to I mean to say that the, the the whole media from the Western countries really don't do justice to some of the works anybody have done here. Yeah, thank you so much for that answer, and I think it's a very unique perspective that many of our U.S. listeners aren't exposed to. Thank you so much for your time today and for speaking with me today. Um, uh, you can tell listeners where to follow you, Nishad, where they can keep up with you. Well, I mean, you can follow. I also have a not very bad social media on my LinkedIn or my, my Instagram or my Facebook. It's at uh, 
uh, Nishad Shafi. And also have my website, Nishad.com. I don't post there much, but you can follow up with the organization I'm committed to, my work and stuff like that. And uh, obviously, um, I work with a lot of young people, so I request any young people who want to do any collaborative project, they're happy to, you know, bridge this gap between the, between the whole, you know, I should say global youth movement, how we can bridge this gap between understanding each other and supporting each other. So I welcome all the youth movements around the world if they are interested to work with us in our region, uh, if uh, specifically not with MICM or any other organization, we are happy to lend our hands to work together, which is what we believe. Unity is our diversity, and uh, that's how we can face this climate tragedy together. So, yeah. That's all for this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed their conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, visit agentsofchangenej.org, our website. While you're there, click the donate button or just hang out, get to know some of the fellows, get to know their work, whether it's stuff we're putting out on essays and podcasts or their own science and research. It is a fascinating community doing all kinds of great work in environmental justice. So get to know some folks, go and poke around a little bit. Be a part of our community. You can find us on social media. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. Subscribe, rate, review, share with a friend, all that good stuff. This podcast was written and recorded by Layla Gad, produced and edited by me with outreach, scheduling and support from the rest of the team, Dr. Ami Zoda, Dr. Yoshira Ornelas Vanhorn, Dr. Vina Singla, Dr. Max Ong, Dr. Lariah Edwards, Summer Ahmad, and Maria Paula Rubiano. Our music is Now Sun by Poddington Bear. Thanks for joining us. We hope to keep these important conversations on diversity and science and health going. Join me next time when I speak to senior fellow Jan Michael Archer, a PhD candidate and National Science Foundation research trainee at the University of Maryland School of Public Health. Have a great week, folks.